Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. What a glorious day it is today with the sunshine. It's wonderful. We're continuing in our Nehemiah series. So we've been in the Old Testament, going through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 14 through 19 today. And we started this actually several weeks before Easter, took a short break for Easter for our secret series. And now this is actually sermon 8 in this series, if you've been keeping track. Grant's nodding his head. He knows it's a sermon 8. Does it actually say sermon 8? Oh, no, it doesn't. But uh, it is actually the eighth one of this series. So, um, but the series is called Return to God. And uh, somebody made a comment to me about this, actually, that, that I'd see if it rings true with you. But they said Return to God almost sounds like it could be like a, like a, a 90s Christian hip-hop album or something. I don't know. Something like that, maybe? That, that, I thought that could work well. So we've got to get on that. You know, that's an opportunity we need to seize and, and get, get, get set up a recording studio and, and, and make something fun. All right. So, um, yeah, so what, what's, what's going on here in the Bible, this, this uh, period of, of biblical history? We've got, you know, even, even though God's people had been rescued from Egyptian slavery, uh, called into the, their own land, you know, given the law of God, shown the ways of God, um, called to be a righteous and just nation, they failed. They failed time and again, and ultimately God intervened in their evil ways. They worshiped false gods. They were doing very unjust things. And God intervened, and he sent foreign nations to conquer them, uh, sent the Babylonians and the Assyrians to conquer them and to exile them into Babylon. They were in exile for 70 years. And then after that time, and this was a, a massive intervention to, to really stop their evil ways, and after 70 years, uh, people start returning to Jerusalem. And one of the people that returns is a guy called Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the ruler of the Persian Empire at the time. And Nehemiah seeks permission and also resources to essentially kind of restore Jerusalem, to restore God's people. And the most important immediate need is uh, the fortification of the city that the city was still in disrepair from the initial conquering 70 years before, but also it appears recently that the parts of the wall and the gates have been destroyed. And so even though there had been a remnant that had stayed that whole time and the people are now returning, uh, they're vulnerable. They're extremely vulnerable. They're surrounded by enemies that want to destroy them. They have absolute hatred uh, towards them. And so this is, uh, this is where we pick up the story of Nehemiah. And these events, why do these events matter? Why are they so consequential, so important? Well, God had promised to bring about the Savior of the world through the descendants of Abraham, Jesus, the Son of God, who would die for, for our sin in our place, that, that he was going to be born through this lineage, through this people group. And so if they're destroyed, it destroys God's plan of salvation. So God in his wisdom, we probably would have other plans. We'd probably find other ways to do it. But God in his divine wisdom and his sovereign grace and his sovereign power has designed salvation to be done this way, in this particular way through a descendant of Abraham, one that would be born. And so the coming of Jesus is wrapped up in the story of Nehemiah. It's so important. And so we're looking at chapter 5 today, verse 14 through 19. And uh, as we saw in the, in the weeks prior to this, that the building project they had had been put temporarily on hold because they had threats and things they had to respond to. Uh, but then also, then they had internal problems. They were oppressing each other. And we looked at that last week. And today we're going to get some... Uh, we're going to look more deeply to the inner workings of Nehemiah's own leadership, some of the choices and decisions he had to make, some of the sacrifices that he had to make himself, and uh, the, the example that he is uh, to us. So we're just going to jump straight in here, and 
read verse 14 through 19. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared, uh, now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is God's word. So we get some direct insights here into Nehemiah's leadership, some details into how he's leading God's people through this time. And we learn actually for the first time that he has officially been appointed as the governor. So I incorrectly last week, I got one week ahead of myself here. Last week I mentioned that he was the governor. And we're not exact, he may have been the governor during the uh, situation that happened uh, we were looking at last week with the issues of justice. Um, but it's very clear in this chapter, this is the first mention in the book of Nehemiah that he is in an official governing role. He's not been voted in, so we have to get that out of our minds. We tend to bring our own ideas of government to biblical history. He's been appointed probably by Artaxerxes, by somebody else uh, higher up in the, in the leadership structure, the leadership hierarchy of the region, and he's been appointed uh, to this position. And what's wonderful about Nehemiah is that he's not the person who is not, not the kind of leader who leans on his position to get things done. It's not a good way to lead. Nehemiah is somebody who actually embodies his leadership, so he leads by example. His, his integrity and his character comes through in all that he does, and he earns the respect of the people in from the, the responsibilities that he has. And so if any of us are ever tempted to think that we need a title or that we need a position to make a difference or to influence things, then we need to think again. We need to be more like Nehemiah, that, that change happens around us through who we are, through, through how we live and the choices we make and how we treat people, that that's the kind of influence that you can grow. And actually, even in our context, people don't even necessarily trust or respect authority figures anyway. So in some contexts, it's, it's uh, be sometimes better to not have the title or position. You can actually maybe have more influence that way, uh, depending on the context, of course. So, so in previous weeks, we learned about there was a famine, recent famine in the land that was really affecting people. There were, this, there were these uh, uh, sharky loans that were going on where the people were exacting you know, massive amounts of interest on each other. There uh, was oppression of the poor. There was people, you know, they, they were selling their kids into, into slavery, all these terrible things that were happening, and Nehemiah had to respond to these problems. That, that's one of the things of, 
of leadership is that a leader's job is to solve problems. There's always problems every day, day after day, lots of problems. You always have to be prepared to try and solve problems. And Nehemiah is trying to solve all the problems, and he's resolved some of these things. And in the passage we read today, he's continuing in this vein, continuing to respond to the challenges that the people are facing because he's so committed to the big goal, to the big thing. And we, we see a description here in Nehemiah of his own personal generosity that it took to, 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 to continue towards the goal that they had of, of rebuilding these walls and, and restoring the gates and restoring the nation. Um, but we see, So we see his generosity, but we also see his massive commitment, like his commitment to the task at hand, to the people, and ultimately to God. We're told that there was this tax allowance that the governors could rightfully exact from the people. And if you think about this, you know, Nehemiah is doing the work, he's doing civil work, doing governing work, trying to restore the nation and, and, and secure the people. And so he's, he's not doing agricultural work. He's not, we, we've got to get out of, our, out of our minds, like there's no modern day conveniences here. I mean, there's a marketplace, but we've got to get out of our, out of our minds, like some of our experiences in our modern day life. Uh, that, that this would be a legitimate thing. If you've got a cabinet, he's got 150 other men, other people from other nations coming, and they're having uh, banquets, they're entertaining, they're having meetings, they're doing diff these different kind of governing activities, and these people need to be fed. These people need food every day. This is part of the, part of the, 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 the legitimate, necessary um, thing that needs to happen whenever you're in this kind of role, in this kind of context. You know, he can't be farming, can't be ag doing agric agriculture. He's got to get food from somewhere. And so to, to do this governing work, they've got this food that gets made every day. And then I guess once a month they have a, some, get some kegs in and kind of, you know, have some fun, I guess. It sounds a little bit like a party house. Uh, but, uh, well, Nehemiah is a good guy, so we can trust that it was, it was sensible and done well, hopefully. Um, but uh, I'm just reminding of Noah. No, anyway, don't think about that too much. There are parts of the Bible. Where, anyway, all right. So, um, so the, what, what we learn, though, is that the former governors used to do this as well. So this is part of their tradition. This is a normal thing that they would have a particular tax that would go for funding the, the food and the, the, the you know. So, so it's a practical thing, but also it's a little bit of a perk, a little bit of a perk of the job, you know, because they, they can get some nice stuff, you know, they can enjoy that a little bit. And uh, in previous weeks, when we looked at this from Nehemiah, when you dig into the original language and you look at the structure of the original Hebrew, you can clearly discern that, that Nehemiah in particular loves deep dish. Uh, that's... Very clear, theologians all agree on this, um, loves deep dish, and so great perk, you know, you can get, get the deep dish in every day. But, but what, what we're told is that previous governors, I'm kidding, uh, previous governors um, took this way too far, and they were exacting a massive amount of tax for this and living very luxuriously, getting the best foods, the best drink, all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's kind of gross, you know, uh, that shouldn't, shouldn't be the case, but that's what they were doing, they were abusing it. And even says that their servants were doing this as well. So this, you know, any hierarchy, any, any, any group of people where you have corrupt leadership and you have something happening at the top that's messed up somehow, that has a trickle-down effect and it gives permission for then, you know, people who are under them to do the same thing, to have the same kind of corrupt behavior and to exact more tax and live more luxuriously than these civil servants should be living. They should be living within their means and living like the people, but they're trying to live above the people, trying to uh, project some kind of greater importance on the people. And it's, it's a really gross thing, you know, when you 
think about it. God's made this amazing world full of resources, and there should be enough to go around. And, uh, but when people go without, when people are uh, mistreated like this, it's typically, I mean, there are famines, there are sometimes weather-related things that can happen, but oftentimes it's because of corrupt leadership. It's because of people in positions of power who hoard resources, hoard uh, funds, hoard wealth to themselves. They don't allow uh, people to actually grow their own wealth or accumulate their own wealth. They, they hoard it all and control it all for themselves, and that oppresses people. That's the story of history. That's kind of time and again you see that happening. It's a gross thing. Nehemiah is a different kind of leader. He understands this additional tax, we're in a famine. We're trying to do this restoration project. This requires everything from everyone. He understands this particular thing right now, and also the excessive nature of it, is we got to eliminate this. we got to get rid of this right now. And so he makes this decision. He could legitimately just reduce it to a reasonable amount, but he goes further than that. He just eliminates the whole thing. So last week, Nehemiah, he's, he's doing all this justice work, and kind of he looks like, like an old-school liberal. This week... He's into deregulation and tax cuts, so he looks like an old-school conservative. And, you know, these are, I mean, honestly, like fiscal responsibility like this and caring for those in need, those two values, those are kingdom values that should live comfortably together in our hearts. Absolutely, right? That got an amen from some people. All right, all right. That's okay. I'll, I'll do more of this, trying to do more of this, getting some more amens here. All right. So... So, so, so it's a wonderful response. You know, he's got the right mindset. He's got this kingdom mindset of like, we want to do the right thing by people. We don't take advantage of people. We want to do that. But also we want to be responsible. We want to you know, live within our means and make the hard choices and not uh, live above the people. He's got this, this kingdom mindset because he, he wants the people to be okay and he wants to serve the purposes of God. He wants God's nation to be restored, to have returned to them all that had been lost by their own fault, of course, but all that had been lost to have it returned to them. And so people are returning to Jerusalem, returning to the city, returning to this place. And as, as Jerusalem goes, so goes the rest of the world because this is where this people group being restored is what's going to bring the light of the gospel, the, the coming of Jesus. And so it's such a, a vital, important thing uh, that is happening. In the 12 years of him being governor, we're told he's officially governor for 12 years. He lives like the people. And he makes this decision to not take this additional tax, which means he's got to pay for this food allowance himself. He's got this, his whole cabinet, his administration, all people doing other civil work, and he's got to figure out how to feed them. And so it doesn't tell us how he does this. I mean, maybe he's got some kind of base salary and he's just taking it out, out of his own pay. Uh, maybe he uh, has savings from, you know, maybe he was a very well-paid cupbearer for Artaxerxes. I guess you would be, actually. It's a hazardous job. Uh, you obviously, you understand part of the reason you do cupbearing and those kind of things is you, you taste things before the king does. So if it's poisoned, you die. So maybe the compensation was high. I don't know. But maybe he had savings. I don't know, 12 years? Living off savings for 12 years? I don't know. That sounds... Maybe he had money. I don't know. Maybe he has some PayPal setup thing with, uh, you know, Artaxerxes. He's got something set up. Either way, it's coming out of his personal funds. Either way, he's found a way to cover this and pay for this. He's not, Nehemiah is not thinking about, because the fortification work is so important, because it's so, this, this moment in time, this restoration work is so vital for getting back on track that, he's, you know, can he be thinking about retirement right now? 
I don't think so. You can't, certainly can't be thinking about living luxuriously, uh, having, having a lot of comforts. You know, specifically, he says, we bought no land. So we're not going to invest in that. We're not going to try and grow our profits. And you know, we're not going to be worried about that. The restoration work is so, so important. Now, those things in and of themselves are not wrong or bad. In times of peace... When there's, when, the, when there's peace and prosperity, you're not having to rebuild, you're not having to guard yourself against enemies. In, those, you know, in, in, in the absence of that, like, hey, nothing wrong with having a few nice things, right? Having some comforts in life. God's given us the good things of life to enjoy. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with uh, having a side hustle or in, you know, toying around with some cryptocurrency, you know, if you so dare. Um, nothing wrong with, with these kind of things. The, the key for God's people is discerning the moment, discerning the moment. This is a crucial moment where the people are so vulnerable, where things are hanging in the balance, where if they don't provide security for the people, all could be lost. And so let me, let me, let me, let me personalize this to us, because sometimes we have a hard time putting ourselves in the shoes of, of, of people in history and people in the Bible, really standing in these moments and really trying to imagine what it would feel like for them and why they're having to make the decisions they made and how Nehemiah is having to operate here. So let me personalize this for us. Imagine that the, a window breaks in your house or in your apartment, or you're going out for the day, you're going to work, or you're going to do something else, and you, you're trying to lock your door, but your lock breaks. Right? It's going to change your, your plans for the day. You can be like, I, I can't, you know, you can't just get a plastic bag and some duct tape and cover it up and be like, I'm just going to go off for the whole day and hope it's okay. All right? Okay, we understand this, right? We live in Chicago. We understand this. So, um, so what are you going to do? You've got to make phone calls. You've got to get a locksmith. You've got to get a window repair person. You have to stay there on site to make sure it's safe, make sure it's secure. You can't just leave it and abandon it. Even if you, no matter where you live, you really can't uh, do that. Just the nature, this is the sad nature of the way of the world. The, the, the world is a broken dark place where people take advantage of opportunities like this and people are seeking to do evil things and obviously we saw that uh this week and so you know it's it's mo- you know this is in one sense you know Nehemiah having to provide a guard and to provide security for the nation is kind of one of the fir- one of the most important responsibilities of governments that's what governments that's what in if we read first peter the apostle peter that's what he teaches in first peter that's what they should be doing and so Memorial Day weekend, it's actually well-timed, well-timed weekend uh, to, to have this passage, to be thinking about and be grateful for, you know, military personnel, people that protect our lives. I know that, you know, uh, it's not very popular to be patriotic these days or to be grateful for our nation, or, and obviously our nation has all kind of terrible things that it's done, as all other nations have done as well, but we can at least be thankful for the good, honest people who were trying to live for the best ideals that they could live for and were willing to pay with their own blood uh, for our security. Imagine if our military were Thanos blipped away. Imagine that. Our lives would change in an instant, wouldn't they? All of our national security, imagine Thanos blipped away, all right? A Thanos snap. They're just all national security gone. What would we do? We'd be scrambling. All of our jobs would suddenly change. We'd all be, you know, be recruited into, we've got to secure the nation again. We'd be back to Nehemiah's day. That's where we would be. That's why 
the reason I'm mentioning all this is because I want us to, this, that's the boat that Nehemiah is in. It's, it's Avengers Assemble. That's what it is, Avengers Assemble. We, we, we got we, we to gotta prepare. We got to make a defense. We got to protect the vulnerable and protect the people because the world is this terrible, evil, dark place. And Nehemiah knows this. And in this kind of context, when you know this, when you're a person like Nehemiah and you know this, you have to, you realize you have to make massive personal sacrifices. You have to take a personal hit in order to, because if, if you don't, if you, if, you, if you try to enrich yourself through these situations or just take care of yourself, everything's going to go to pot anyway. So you have to take a big, big personal hit. And this is one of the things that is so admirable about Nehemiah, about the way that he operates, that he makes some big personal sacrifices here. And this is what we need. We need, in our world, we need more people with a heart for God like Nehemiah. We need more Nehemiahs in the world, people that won't seek to enrich themselves when they get into prominent positions. That, that's, that's the, the, the hard thing about these alluring positions of power is that bad people will always seek them. There's, there's no shortage of bad people with bad motives who have corrupt desires who want to control people or want to enrich themselves through these processes. And so that's always going to have bad people searching out the, that, the, those roles and those positions out of their own selfish ambition. And so that's why the world needs more Nehemiahs, people who know the difference between right and wrong, the people who have convictions of righteousness and are selfless, are willing to take a personal hit on something, willing to put their own time and resources into something. That's what the world needs more of. And the hard thing about those people is those people don't tend to seek those positions of power because they tend to be more humble people who are, who are trying to take care of their own affairs and trying to take care of their immediate family and trying to take care of their immediate community. They're not seeking those, those, those positions of power, but that's what the world, the world needs. More people to be drawn out with a heart like Nehemiah to do the Jesus thing to do the sacrificial thing. Do the Jesus thing. That's, that could be our second album. That's our... That's good. I like... <laughs> double platinum. Here we come. It's going to work out for us. So, Nehemiah is this revolutionary, transformative leader. He uh, makes this, these big personal sacrifices. And I think it would be tempting to... You know, this is a shorter passage to some of the passages we've read. I think it'd be, it could be tempting to kind of like just skim over these or just move on from these because it is personally very challenging. Are any of us, are any of us willing or shown the willingness to have this level of generosity and this level of commitment, this level of sacrifice? It's a, it's a challenging thing to, to think about. But, but Nehemiah, he, he's kind of a once-in-a-generational leader, honestly, um, I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, in one sense he reminds me of, of Abraham Lincoln in some regards, that kind of stature of a person in terms of the role that he had and uh, how he lived and his kind of philosophy of, of leadership and different things of, of that nature. He's, he's the kind of person that said, hey, we've got to keep, keep, keep the mission first and the snacks come later. Snacks always come later. So remember that. We, we were Americans, so we love the snacks to come first the missions to come second. We, we learned that from childhood, right? So kids, snacks come later. Okay, delay the snack, do the mission. Now, in times of economic hardship, everyone has to make sacrifices. Everyone has to make sacrifices. And we have to learn to make sacrifices, but we also have to learn to keep the heart of God, to keep that generous heart. Because when things are tight, the temptation can be, well, I can't, tell, I, I can't be generous still. Uh, 
in the midst of that. And so we've got to learn to live with these two mindsets. So if I want to be somebody who is being cautious with resource, but also somebody who's, being, who's willing to be very generous with resource. And that comes from the heart of God. The heart of God is he's generous. He gave his son for us. He is lavish in his giving. Gives and gives and gives and gives. But also we want to be those who are resourceful, who are living within our means. And so this passage from Nehemiah is actually so well-timed for us. It's kind of by God's providence. As, it's amazing as we've gone through this series. It's like every week we had something that came up as like just perfect timing uh, that God uh, wanted, wants to speak to us about and uh, teach us about. And I want to take this opportunity to actually talk about some financial things related to Trinity. And uh, so by God's grace, this is the good shepherd leading us, guiding us uh, through this season in our church life. So let me just set this up and uh, talk a little bit briefly about some practical things related to our finances as a church. Uh, we started, you know, my wife and I moved to Chicago about 13 years ago to start this church, and some of you were here with us before. Adam was here before any of us, so uh, Adam wins the, wins the ultimate prize for that. <laughs> um, and uh, many people have been around for many, many years, and we're so grateful. And we have a very generous church, and we were, we were started with some, some outside help, some outside money, but very early on, our church uh, really responded to the call of giving, and we've been self-sustaining uh, really ever since the beginning of our church, and that's by God's grace. Um, that's not always the case, but that was in our case, and that was God's grace and blessing upon us. Um, even at the start of the pandemic, you know, we went into the pandemic financially strong. We had, uh, you know, two services, you know, lots of serving teams, lots of volunteers, and a very healthy place. Um, and even going into the pandemic, our giving actually got strong, got, got, went up a little bit uh, to begin with, uh, which was b bizarre to me. I don't know. Um, I think it was all the free money that the government was printing. People were like, I just give it, uh, you know. So kids, you have to pay that back later on, by the way. Um, but uh, that's how it works. Um, so anyway, so that's a different, I'm getting sidetracked here. So we, um, we obviously over time, because, you know, with the pandemic, we, city churches especially have been hit pretty hard uh, in terms of attendance. You know, we have less attendance now than we used to have. And if you didn't, if you haven't put it together yet, the way churches work is the higher the attendance, the more giving. The lower the attendance, the less giving. All right, Church 101, that's how it works. And so, hey, our giving has gone down over time, it began to dip and has, you know, been tracking down. Um, the good thing about that, about, about the situation is that our expenses also were tracking down with that, keeping in step with that. And, uh, you know, when you're just online and you're not gathering in person, your expenses go down quite a bit. Uh, and so the good thing was we were tracking with that and that was fine. Now, as we, you know, obviously as we began to reopen, build back our serving teams, build back some of the things we were doing before our expenses have gone back up, and our giving has continued to like track down a little bit. So one of the big blessings through all of this is several people who moved away from Chicago, who were part of our church, continue to give to our ministry. And I'm so blessed by that when people do that. Obviously, that's a short-term thing because people eventually get involved in other ministries and do other things, and they need to be giving to those things. Um, but thank you to anyone watching online who might hear this who have continued to do that. A lot of that's come to an end now. Um, so let me give you a quick update. Last month, we had a positive month, so that's good. That means our giving outpaced our expenses. Two months, the two months prior to that, we had, a ne we had negative months, where that means our expenses outpaced our giving. Now, I'm not worried about that. We, I have faith that we're going to steer the ship and God's going to provide for us. 
uh, and we're going to make some changes as well in response to that. Uh, but part of it, I'm not super worried about it. We have margin. We have kind of a, you know, an emergency fund. So it's not like if, if you have a negative month and suddenly like, oh, we're going to be out on the street. Uh, you know, it's not like that. So, so God's provided ahead for us. But like all kind of adult, grown-up situations like this, when these kind of things happen, you have to take action. You have to respond to them. And so we need to respond in the same way that Nehemiah does. We need to look at what are some things that are too great a burden to bear right now? What are some things we can eliminate? Some, some allowances, some expenses we can eliminate. And also, like Nehemiah, how can we be generous? How can we look at what the resources that we do have? And the temptation is that, that we might, if you look at your resources and think, I don't have much, uh, therefore I can't do much, that's always the wrong mindset. The mindset is, I, have to, I can only give out of what I have. So what's generous for me? What's generous for me? That's, that's the right mindset to have. So I want to look at both of those things. And in part because we don't want to be just a people who are um, breaking even. We want, to be, we want to expand our ministry. And we've been continuing to expand our ministry and grow back. And one of the things we're looking to do is hire a, a part-time children's director. So anyone who's interested in... And we've been talking about it a lot, but we still haven't been able to hire anyone yet. So if you're interested or you know somebody who's interested in uh, being our part-time children's director, we want to serve our kids. We want to serve our families and our parents uh, in that way. And so... We've got some ministry needs and things that we want to expand into. And it should be no surprise that ministry, like all ministries, require resources and funds to operate. Should be no surprise to us, right? All organizations require, if you get a few people together and you need some space to meet and you need some things to do, you know, the ex there are expenses that add up. Should be no surprise to us, right? So like any church, you know, we have things. We we do tithe ourselves as a church. We tithe, we give actually more than 10%. We give outside of ourselves to international mission work, to church planting efforts uh, globally and also uh, in the States. Um, we support other organizations and groups. We do different things like that. We give you know, the, the donation to a uh, uh, local food pantry for our guests, things, things of that nature that we give towards. But we also have other expensive expenses as well, you know, facility expenses, staff expenses, other operational expenses. You know, we give out Bibles and books and we have sponsorships for things. There's other things that we do, uh, and I know some people, we, we've actually given out several sponsorships this year for the celebration conference. That money is in a separate account uh, that was set aside in the future, so that's not part of our operational ongoing budget. Um, so don't worry about that. That's a separate thing. Obviously, if our finances don't change, we may not be able to do that next year, but we can definitely do that this year. So we're very happy to give out sponsorships to celebration this year. Um, but it should take you know, it should be no surprise that, that running a ministry, it takes, takes funds, takes cash, takes resources. That's the teaching of the Bible. That's throughout Scripture is God's people investing in his, his work and his ministry, building his church. And there is no money tree. I've looked. I was on eBay the other day uh, looking at that, and uh, there isn't. There really, I've, there really isn't. So, um, God blesses our generosity, though. As we're generous, God blesses our generosity, and he provides for us. So I want to talk about some sacrifices that we need to make as a church, some personal sacrifices I'm going to make and some sacrifices I've asked others, other leaders to make as well, and then also some opportunities that we have that we can seize a hold of. And this is kind of like a team effort here. We kind of want us to rally together as, as a team effort uh, around this and uh, really see um, just to make sure that we're on track and that we're living within our, in our means and we're poised to expand as well. Um, so one of the things I immediately uh, did in reviewing our numbers and looking at some of this stuff is uh, it's pretty typical for churches to cover a pastor's cell phone plan. So I downgraded my, my plan to one of these like super cheapo plans that are out there now. So if you can't get a hold of me, that's why. Um, 
so uh, there's that. Uh, but no, I'm happy. That's 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 that, that's an easy little thing to do there. Um, also, we've eliminated some staff travel-related uh, expenses. We've also eliminated some training and resource things. Put those, some of those things on hold for the time being. Um, and some some other sacrifices I've asked uh, some of our other leaders to make. So I talked to a lot of our serving team coordinators who oversee different budgets in different areas. Talked to welcome team, worship, our tech teams. Talked to special events and and building uh, our building team and. Uh, basically saying like, hey, how can we get resourceful? How can we, before we spend, you know, we've got money budgeted, but before we spend it, how can we ask some questions like, can we just eliminate this expense completely? How can we get it discounted or donated? Um, or how can we delay it? You know, those kind of questions. How can we put things off and, you know, be, just be, and, you know, these, we actually should be thankful for these kinds of seasons. Like, I, I like going through these kind of seasons because uh, for some reason I like really difficult things that are like painful and stressful. I don't know why I like that, but some, for some reason I do. And um, th these kind of things, it makes you rethink stuff. It makes you, you, you get back to the basics. How do we get, you know, more focused, trim off the fat, you know, get really, you know, laser focused on what we need to be doing and, and trim off the different things that we don't necessarily need. And, and the greatest thing that comes out of this is greater trust in God. That's the biggest thing that comes out of these, these kind of times. So I'm not worried about it at all, but we have to be responsible adults and respond in these kind of ways. So uh, one really cool thing actually came up recently. Um, our own John Downey came up with this really cool idea. Was uh, He found a, a coffee shop that hopefully, if it works out, might be donating their coffee to us on a Sunday morning. <laughs> okay. So we know how much people love their coffee. So that's a cool thing. So we, we want you know, more ideas and, and, and kind of cool things like that if that pans out. Um, but we, so we have some other opportunities. Um, we've got a few actually, but let me mention one in particular. Before the pandemic, we had a cleaning team and uh, several volunteers on that team that people were serving once or twice a month coming in. Uh, uh, the team would serve each week, but volunteers on the team were serving once or twice a month and coming in and just cleaning our building and you know, making sure when you use the toilets that they're clean, which you know, we should all be grateful for, and vacuuming up things and wiping things down and all that good stuff. Um, since we reopened after all the lockdowns, that's a team we've not been able to relaunch yet. Uh, so we've uh, basically been using a cleaning service each week, and that would be a great expense for us to eliminate if we could. And so I know this is super practical today, uh, and actually, the song that we're singing after this, the first song after this is clean. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're just really trying to send the message, you know. Jesus cleans us. We clean the building, you know, saves us some money. Um, pay the debt, you know. Uh, so what we need to relaunch our cleaning team is we need a, need a leader. We need a leader. We need a coordinator, somebody who says, hey, ideally somebody who likes cleaning, all right, uh, you, know, you don't have to love it, but you just have to value it. You have to value cleanliness, all right? So uh, we need somebody, so talk to me. Let me know, you know, mark it on your Connect card if you're interested, or come talk to me if you're like, hey, I could head that up. And then we need to take some time. We'll rebuild up that team and then kind of phase out our, our cleaning service as well. So we have some opportunities like that as a church that we can take a hold of and be responsible and live within our, our means. And if those things prove to be ineffective, there's other steps. There are more things we could uh, consider and continue to do. Those are the immediate things uh, that we're looking at. But here's an opportunity for all of us, something I want all of us to really think about and pray about and, and look into. And uh, let me just briefly talk about giving. Um, Churches, I think, you know, let, let me ask you this. If, if you consider Trinity to be your church, would you, if you're not, 
would you consider bringing your full tithe into our church and blessing our church and providing for the, the ministry expenses that we have and the mission that we're on here uh, from God to reach this city? A lot of lost people in this place. We're here for a, a spiritual reason. We help people in practical ways too, but we're here for, for the, the word of the gospel to go out, that people might know Jesus. That's the biggest thing that we fund every time uh, we give. And so I want to ask you, would you, would you if, if, if this is really your church, or even if, let's say it's ambiguous, you don't have a church you're really committed to, so you're not really giving consistently anywhere, would you consider just start, starting to do that at Trinity? Um, you know, as Christians, we should just be generous people. I mean, that's what the Christian faith is all about. At the heart of the Christian faith is a generous God who gave the greatest sacrifice ever. And so we want to be generous. People want to be, you know, every opportunity to give. But our greatest generosity, our greatest consistency really does need to be towards church ministry. And the reason for that is that Jesus came to start his church. The church is the vehicle by which the gospel is proclaimed, by which disciples are made, by which the mission of God multiplies throughout the world. And so that's, the, that's one of the mature marks of a Christian is to recognize that's the teaching of the Bible and say, I want to join with all Christians in history who have practiced that and done that. And also for those online, maybe you're, uh, you know, you're not here in person, maybe you're tuning in from somewhere else, you know, and if, if you're, I mean, get involved in a church where you're at, that'd be great. But uh, if you're not giving, consider giving to Trinity uh, as well. And, uh, you know, God blesses our, our generosity in that way. And throughout, throughout the Bible, we see the teaching of, of tithing, if you're not familiar with this, tithe means tenth. It's the first 10% of our income that we uh, set aside and give to God in worship. Jesus affirmed the idea of tithing in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, talks about tithing. But then you see something interesting in, for the believers in the New Testament. They seem to give well beyond the tithe. They give in sac- very sacrificial ways. And uh, some people sometimes don't like the idea of giving a strict 10%. Uh, so if you're that kind of person, then, 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 then just give 11% and be done with it. Um, but uh, the, the point is, is that consistent generosity. And uh, let me put it to you this way. Let me frame it this way, because I know if you're not used to giving, and obviously you can only give if you have income, right? So if you're impoverished, you have no income, you've got bigger problems, all right? And, uh, you know, we'd love to help you in some way. If we, we have a benevolence ministry, we can help with certain financial things uh, if that's uh, necessary. Um, but let me, let me frame it in this way. If you do have income, you got a job, you're getting income somehow, um, you know, let, let's say it's a job, you know, let's say your boss sits down with you tomorrow, says, hey, we need to have an emergency meeting, and they sit down with you and they say, look, our company is going through some financial hardships. Our revenue's down across the board, and we're having to make some big changes. And we've got two big options. Either we're going to have to lay off a ton of people, or we're going to have to reduce everyone's salary by 10%, including upper management and everyone, including you. And we've made a decision. We, we, we really want to take care of our people. And so we're not going to lay in anyone off. We want people to be employed. But it means everyone's got to take a 10% pay cut. And we're really sorry. We know that affects you. We know if you have to go get a different job somewhere else because of that, we understand. But we just ask you to really stick with us through this time and weather this time and, you know, help us get through this time and help everyone maintain their jobs uh, at, the, at the company. What would you do in response to that, right? I mean, you might not be happy about it. You might say, well, that sucks. You know, that's not great. But I'm glad I didn't lose my job today. I'm glad all my friends didn't lose, my work colleagues didn't lose their jobs. I'm glad for that. But you know what else you'd do? You'd find a way to live off of 10% less. You'd find a way. Because human beings, you know what? We're pretty resourceful. We, We find ways. We do it. So find a way. Find a way to say, I'm going to prioritize God. I'm going to make that. So... 
if you are giving or you haven't been giving, would you consider, actually, if you have been giving to Trinity, thank you for your gifts, would you, if you haven't looked at it recently, would you take a look at your tithe and just check that you are giving that full 10% uh, just to check that you are uh, doing that? The danger in asking that is that some people might realize they have to put it down a little bit if their income's gone down, so that's okay too. Um, the, the, the point is, you know, God provides, for, it's God who provides for us, and the point is to be faithful, consistent uh, with that. Consider how you can give. Consider how you can give. We have a few ways of giving. Actually, Jones, will you put up the how to, uh, the ways to give graphic from announcements? So one way to give is with this envelope that you get given when you come in on a Sunday. And uh, you can use this in a few different ways. Obviously, you can put cash in here. You can put a check in here. Uh, you can uh, actually give with a credit card uh, on here as well. And if you give using this, please make sure you fill it in uh, for tax purposes, things like that. That helps us um, with those kind of things. Um, and if you, if you don't have a, if you're, if you're a little slow with it and the offering baskets come around, um, we've got wall-mounted boxes on the back. You can put it in there. Also, you can take this home with you and you can mail back a check. It's uh, postage paid. We have a PO box. Uh, you can, so we try and make it super convenient. Lots of removing all the barriers to giving. Uh, of course, you can give online. Um, you can also give by text message as well. That's another way to give. If you give online, um, one thing I do encourage people to do, you know, if, if you have a consistent income, is to set up the automated giving. Uh, that's our preferred way of giving. That helps. We found that that helps people be most consistent with their giving, uh, but also it helps reduce some kind of like manpower kind of things on our side in terms of some. It helps re, you know remove some of the log logistical things of like checks and all that kind of stuff. So it makes it a little simpler uh, logistically for us. So there's some benefits to it uh, in that regard. And um, just consider how, consider how you, you might do that and take that step today or this uh, week to pray about that and take that step. Thank you for listening, hearing me out on this. Let's look at this last verse here and land the plane here on this passage. Nehemiah prays this prayer. We know he's a man of prayer, always speaking with the Lord and praying. And he, he says this, he says, remember for, for my good. Because <laughs> it's, you know what? This has not been for his good, all right? that he's had to make some big sacrifices here. He's not going to invest in land. He's not going to do that. That would be nice. He'd yeah, you know, make some good money. But that's, they're in a time of restoration. That's not the time for them to do it. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. What's Nehemiah saying here? He's saying that his success, that God fulfilling this mission, his success is going to be based on God blessing him. Not based on what he's done. He's saying, God, I've done this. See, see what I've done. Would you bless me in return? He's asking. He's not just counting on it. He's not just saying, well, God will, has to bless me because I did this. He's saying, God, look at what I've done, and would you bless me? Would you remember what I've done? And this really points to the heart of the gospel message, doesn't it? The greatest provision, the greatest debt that's been paid. What did Jesus do? Jesus, he did, he, Jesus is almost saying like to, to the Father, saying, look, look, at the, look at the debt I've paid for these people. Look at the sacrifice I've made for them, like almost like, would you save me? Would you remember me? That's kind of a cool way actually to, to, to picture and to think about the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, that he, obviously God cares for us on a practical level. He helps us with all of these needs. Of course he does. He cares about that. That matters to him. But he's taking care of the greatest need, the most important need, which is our need to be restored to him, our need to be forgiven of our sin, our need to be cleansed to be made right with God. And that only happens through Jesus. 
That's through the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. We need to respond to Jesus today and thank him and bless him. Consider how you can respond today. Use this Connect card that you have, or you can uh, use the, the digital Connect card and text Enjoy to 94000. But I'd love to um, encourage you to try and use this every week, actually, because on the back of this, you've got some fun emojis on the front you can circle. But on the back of this, you can, you've got prayer requests. We'd love to get prayer requests from everybody each week to be praying for people. But you can write comments and questions down. If there's something in the, a sermon each week that strikes you as something you're like, I want to go do that today, or I, I need to take that step this week, you can make yourself accountable to it by, by writing it in here, by saying, I'm, this is what I plan to do in response to this sermon. And you know, you, if you write something down, you're more likely to do it. You know that, right? If you write it down, maybe you didn't know that, so now you know it, all right? So, so you're more likely to do it. So, so it's a really helpful practice to say, yeah, this is what I'm going to, this is how I'm going to, I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word, I'm going to be a doer of the word today as well. So maybe some of you today want to write down, hey, I'm going to start giving. Hey, I'm going to review my giving. Hey, I want to be, I don't want to be a tipper anymore. I want to be a tither. I want to be fully generous in that way.